All right, we're about to read from Judges, chapter 2, verses 6 through 19. If you don't have a Bible with you or a mobile device with a Bible on it, you can find a Bible in the back of your pew. It'll be on page 250 of the regular print version. Um, Also, while you're digging around for a Bible, you might see one of these blue Connect cards. If you're a guest with us, would you just fill this out? And you can put it in the offering plate later. Or you can take it with you to the foyer and give it to Pastor Neil, and he will mug you. I mean, (laughs) he'll give you a mug with some basic information about our church. Now let's read together, um, starting at at verse 6. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath-Herez in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gayash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger, because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtaroths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned from the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived, for the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Today's service chair person was uh, quite a bit prettier than most of the ones we see up here. I can say that. (laughs) I won't say that about the rest of you, whether you're pretty or not. Um, Welcome to a brand new series on the judges. And this is a little bit different sort of series than we typically do. A lot of times we're either in a series for a few weeks talking about uh, you know a biblical theme maybe like kingdom or light sometimes we talk about uh, just topics about how to love one another or the need for rest in our lives sometimes we talk about 
theological or biblical concepts like worship or the Holy Spirit. But every now and then we talk about just, we kind of focus in on one book of the Bible. In fact, last fall we focused in on a letter in the New Testament that we call Philippians. And um, this time we're going to go to the Old Testament. Uh, to an old part of the Old Testament. And look at a book that is probably not commonly spoken on in, in sermons. In fact, you may not have heard many messages from the book of Judges. Unless it had to do perhaps with Gideon or Samson. There's a couple of famous judges that people like to talk about from time to time. Um, but for the most part, chances are you haven't heard a lot about this book called Judges. And today we're going to dive into it. We're not going to dodge the hard stuff. I think when we dodge the hard topics or the passages of scripture that are, are maybe harder to process and figure out, when we do that as a church, it kind of says to people who are wrestling with tough questions about those things, hey, don't bring your questions up around here. You might get labeled as a doubter or worse. You know, We don't need those controversies and questions. Just let's stick to the simple stuff and, and the stuff we all know. So we're going to dive into some heavy things. And even today, as we introduce this, this new series, we're going to talk about some topics that are tough, that people really do wrestle with about God and about God's Word. And, uh, and we'll probably run across more and more of those throughout this series. Most of this series is going to talk about specific judges. And so that's why we called it The Judges. Uh, we're going to talk about guys uh, like Samson and Gideon and others that are less well known over the coming weeks. I thought about calling this Judges in June and July. Because you know, then we could call it the Triple J series, which just sounds awesome, right? Who wouldn't want to come to the Triple J series? But... Then we ended up having to spill over into one week of August and ruin the whole thing. So we just went with the judges. Um, one thing I'll just point out is that the stuff that happened, even though this stuff happened a long time ago, and, and much of it might seem really foreign to us or uncivilized to us, ancient history we're going to find that so much of it still applies to our life and, and the Bible is amazing like that and you're also going to find that even though we like to think that we've made a lot of progress since then a lot of the things that folks struggled with a few thousand years ago folks still struggle with today and today's going to be no exception to that rule in fact we're going to kind of hone in on that today instead of looking at a specific judge today we're just going to introduce what was going on in the book of Judges and it's something that goes on in our lives today see I know from my own experience and from knowing having some close friendships through the years that we struggle with something the Bible calls sin which is basically just choosing to do things our way or choosing to do things anyway other than God's way it's when we, when we live in a way other than what God prescribed the Bible calls that sin and I know that, that not all of you would, would say in here today well, that you're you know, willfully living a lifestyle of sin and yet I also know that all of you struggle 
to live God's way. You tell me that almost every week, you know, if I step on your toes, <laughs> right? You say, Pastor, you're hitting a little too close to home. We all struggle to live God's way. I know that because I've known people and I know that because I know me. And I know that because I look in God's Word and it tells us, quite honestly, that we struggle with things. And some of you probably stumble in here in a spiritual sense feeling like you don't even know if you have what it takes to really be a Christian. Because sometimes sin feels stronger in your life than your faith. And you're just not sure. And today we're going to talk about this. And yes, this series deals with a lot of dark stuff. Like sin. And we're going to look at some really flawed people. And some wicked actions. And some things that will leave you scratching your head. But there's also hope to be found. And today is no exception to that rule. We're going to talk about this a thing called the cycle, the judge's cycle. And it it mirrors very much the same kind of cycle that we feel in our lives sometimes when it comes to sin. And and that's going to be more understandable in a second as we dive into God's Word. But first I just want to say, let's back up and let's talk about where does this book of Judges, where do these events that are accounted for in this book, in this ancient manuscript, where do they fit into the scheme of History, human history, biblical history, uh, just so we have some context here for what we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come. Now, the oldest books of the Bible, and most of them are found right in the earliest pages, you know, starting with Genesis and, and right up through books like Judges. They were recorded, written down over 3,000 years ago, they believe. That's a long time. And the events that they recorded are even older. Because they recorded events that had already been passed down from generation to generation by oral history before civilizations wrote much stuff down. So when, when it became a thing where you, okay, let's write down and record our histories, then they recorded these histories that had been passed down to them by their ancestors for generations. That's just how... In fact, that's how the majority of civilizations and ancient history, if, no matter what part of the world you look at, uh, it was passed down through oral tradition. And then so, at some point in history, they wrote it down. And that's what we find in the book of Judges. And here's where it fits in. When we, when we read in Scripture about the beginning of, of this whole God story, it starts at creation. And it says that God created this world, and, and He looked at it and He said, It's good. But it wasn't too long before mankind decided, no God, we're going to do things our way, not your way. And at that point, the world that had been good and the relationships and the people that had been good unraveled. And things haven't worked the way God intended it to ever since. That's what we believe the Bible teaches. And you read this story in Genesis about how the aftermath of the fall and and everything that went on there. And eventually God said, you know what, I'm going to raise up a new people to be an example to the whole world of, you know, here's how I pictured it to be. And they're going to live my way. And they're going to lift my name up amongst the nations. 
And the people are going to see that God's ways are different. And that God is holy. And that there's only one God. And they're going to see this in my people that I'm going to raise up through Abraham. And so Abraham, this man of faith, sets off to follow God. And from him, God brings forth a nation. And as we read, we read the famous story of how his people became enslaved in Egypt. But he delivered them with Moses. And he said, I'm going to give you the, prom- the land that I promised to your ancestor Abraham. You're going to take it. And you're going to live in this land. And you're going to be that light to the nations that I had intended from the start. But the people kind of messed it up. So they had to wait a whole other generation for that generation to die off. And then... Moses wasn't the one to take them into the promised land. It was Joshua. And Joshua takes them in. And there's war. And there's battles. And cities are taken. And cities fall. There's bloodshed. And by force, God's people take the the land that God had promised to them. And they took up residence there. And things went along pretty well for a while. And that brings us up to where Judges picks up. Right where the book of Joshua leaves off. And we read, as we read just a moment ago, that the people served the Lord throughout Joshua's leadership as they lived in this promised land. And they served the Lord even after Joshua died until all the elders, the people who had seen the amazing works of God as He delivered them out of Egypt and into the promised land and worked wonders on their behalf as they fought battle after battle against enemies that they were far outmatched by. And yet God intervened and gave them this land and these elders passed away. And the generation that was left behind, it says, grew up and they knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now this is kind of a poetic way of saying that they didn't have the faith of their fathers. It's not that they didn't know any of the stories or didn't know what those monuments that their elders had built stood for as reminders of what God had done. They they knew the stories because those were passed on but they didn't know God. They didn't trust God. They didn't lean on God. They were, their faith, I guess we could say, was weak. And so this generation that came up after Joshua kicked off what we're going to call the judges cycle or the cycle of sin. It looked something like this and we're going to break it down in just a moment. But first, they would rebel against God. Then God would hand them over in His anger. Then they would cry out and repent in their distress. And then God would send them a judge. And then they would do it again. And again. And again. And this is the pattern throughout the book of Judges. Kind of a bleak existence. Let's look at these one at a time. Step one, the people rebelled. This is how it described it in what we read today. 
The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook Him and served the Baals and Ashtoreths instead. (laughs) This is why God told them to clear the land out. You know, people, this is one of those difficult topics we have to address in this series because people in our world today, they look at the Old Testament and one of the things you hear them say is they bring up this whole bloodshed thing in the Old Testament. And they say, look at that. Your religion's no different than any other religion. You just want to kill people and take over land. Your God's no different than anyone else's God. Have you ever heard him say that on the news media, maybe? Or, or a friend at work, or whatever? And this comes up. And they, they, they'll a lot of times call it genocide, or something like that. But this was so different than any other similar event in history because of a couple of things. Most of the time when you see something like this, it is like race-based genocide. You still see it today in the world. Whether it's Islamic jihads or whether it's uh, things going on in Africa where you know this tribe and that tribe or uh, this belief system and that belief system or this race and that race. And they try to annihilate something. You saw it in the Holocaust. But this is so different. I mean, just... It was not race-based. If it had been race-based, for instance, you would never have seen someone like Rahab, who was a Canaanite prostitute, not only rescued and spared because of her assistance and her faith in God, but celebrated by the Jewish people for thousands of years. I mean, that wouldn't happen if this was race-based. She would have been the lowest of the low, you know. Hey, that rhymed. I've just, it's, it comes natural. <laughs> so it's not race-based. Another thing it's not is imperialistic. Because people who are just trying to take over land, they're doing it for wealth and prosperity. They want that land. They want all the goods that come with it. And yet time and again... God instructs His people, don't keep anything. Don't take the plunder. I mean, this was so unorthodox that they struggled to do it, and God would have to shut the whole thing down until they cleared out the plunder that was taken, and got rid of it, and got rid of whoever did it. He was that serious about it. You're not going to take these people's stuff. This isn't about their stuff. This is about evicting pagan worship from this land that I'm giving you so that you can live as my holy set apart people as a light unto this world of what it looks like when God is king and so this is different than anything else in the world and yes it seems to fly in the face of God's own commands not to kill and it would have taken it could have It couldn't have happened any other way except for God to audibly say to Joshua, Joshua, this is what I need you to do. 
It couldn't have happened this way and been okay if it had just been some guy sitting around. I think this is what we need to do. And we should say it's in the name of the Lord. <laughs> as people sometimes do. But it took God himself saying, here's what we're going to do this one time in history to evict pagan worship from the land where my people are going to live as a light to the nations. So this is this unique event. And yet the people didn't follow through on it as God asked them to do. And so there were still pagan people in the land and surrounding the land, surrounding them and and in their midst who were still worshiping all those gods. And maybe that seems so foreign to us, but it shouldn't because we live the same existence today. Where people in the land that we live worship a multitude of gods. They don't call them funny names like the Israelites did. And they don't usually build idols to them that look funny as those people did back then. But it's the same stuff. It's the same kind of worship as we'll see in weeks to come. So they didn't. And so they rebelled. They rejected God and instead took on the popular worship of the day. And so God, step two, hands them over in anger, it says. It says they provoked him to anger, and in his anger he handed them over to raiders who plundered them. Anger is another one of those hot topic issues, and maybe we'll take just one more rabbit trail this morning and talk about anger of God. That's another one that people wrestle with because when you talk about God being angry and yet he tells us not to be angry, when you talk about God being angry and then you also talk about God being love, people say, well, this doesn't match up to me. How do you have a God who's wrathful and then a God who's loving? This doesn't make sense to a lot of folks. But if we step back and we think about it for a moment, yes, there's a kind of anger that comes from pride and hurt pride. Or from jealousy in places like that. But isn't there also a kind of anger that comes from a place of love? Haven't you ever felt that kind of anger yourself? In your family relationships especially? Where someone that you love is behaving in a way that causes you anger not because of your pride, not because of your ego, but because you see what they're doing to themselves it's infuriating because you love them. If you have never felt that way, I can almost guarantee you you've caused someone else to feel that way at some point. It's a real emotion and that's the kind of anger that we're talking about. The other interesting thing is that when we think about God's wrath and His anger, we usually think of it in terms of fire and brimstone, right? In fact, we'll We'll say things just in jest, you know, about if someone says something kind of sacrilegious or, or blasphemous, you know, in church especially. You back away, don't you? <laughs> she said, in case you get struck by lightning there, I'm going to be over here. <laughs> and that's how we think of God's anger and His wrath is like He's, you know, sending bolts of lightning down any time that we tick Him off, you know. But what's interesting is that in, in the Bible, that kind of response is the exception, not the rule. 
And more often than not, when the Bible talks about God's anger, the way we see it play out is, He hands us over. Turns us over to what we're wanting to do anyway. We see it here, where He says, okay, you, you want their gods instead of me. You can have them. I'm not going to force you to worship me. You want to do that? You do that. I'm going to hand you over to what your heart desires. Even though it makes me mad. Because I see what you're doing to yourself. And I see where this is going to end up. But go ahead. And we see this in the New Testament very explicitly spelled out in Romans chapter 1. Where Paul just lays this out, how it works. The wrath of God being displayed in this way. That's a very different picture of God's wrath than what most people picture, I think. And it's kind of harder to get mad at God for being mad when you see, when you think about the motive and when you see how he's saying, don't do this. Please don't do this. You're, don't you see where this is going to end? And inevitably in this cycle, it did end that way. And we read in Judges 2.15 that the people would enter a season of great distress. Where they were oppressed. God that the God that they had rejected no longer had their back in battle and all these things and so they would fall into oppression by these their enemies that surrounded them and they'd be enslaved again and their lives would crumble around them and in their distress they would cry out to God again we blew it God things were so much better when you were our God and here it just says they were in great distress but in the weeks to come as we read the specific accounts of these judges it'll you know, spell out for us more how they would repent they would turn back to God so that's the next part of this cycle and the last part is that God would send a judge to save them from the hands of their enemies these judges were very flawed people in most cases. God chose some really unexpected characters whom the world would never have picked because they weren't strong enough. Or you wouldn't expect God to pick because they weren't holy enough. Very odd and interesting characters. This is going to be a fascinating series. If you know anyone that thinks the Bible is boring, you can invite them in on this one because it's, the stories in here are anything but boring. But they would live, it said. They'd live correctly, but then when the judge died, they'd return to even more corrupt ways than before. And the next generation would do the same. And the next generation would do the same. So that they were trapped in this cycle. 
again and again, rebelling against God, God handing them over, repenting, God saving them, rebelling again, and on and on. And we see it, we saw it before these people. Israel did that to God before. That's why they ended up wandering around in the wilderness for a whole generation. We saw it, we'll see it again and again through this series in Judges. You see it later in the Old Testament when ultimately God hands them over to be just exiled from the land altogether and the temple destroyed, Jerusalem torn down. And we see it in the New Testament. People struggling to live their lives. And we see it in our own lives. The cycle of sin. And we look at this, what was happening to the people in Judges. And it's a bleak existence. In fact, the last few chapters of this book that we won't even get into because they don't deal with a specific judge are some of the most heavy, just awful stuff to read about evil that took place in these days. Bleak, hopeless, terrible existence. And that's where the people found themselves. And sometimes... I think it's where we find ourselves. For some of us, we too feel trapped in a cycle of sin sometimes, don't we? And a lot of times it's the same thing over and over because we all have our unique struggles. But all of our unique struggles, though they look different than our neighbors in some ways, you know, maybe for one person it's lust, and for another person it's food, and for another person it's their job or success. For another person it's greed. For another person it's jealousy and always comparing themselves to other people. Our struggles are each unique. But they all end in the same kind of place. And it's not a pretty place. And for a lot of us we live just a similar cycle where we, we struggle with this and we, until we get ourselves in such a low state of affairs that we turn to God and we say, God... I don't want to live like this. My life's a mess. If you just get me out of this, I'll come back to you. I'll do the church thing. I'll, you know, you fill in the blank. But we get back up on our feet, and then the next thing you know, we're struggling with the same kind of thing again. And it's a bleak kind of way to live, isn't it? And it's frustrating. And to add to that, there's the shame of knowing how such sin makes God feel. And in in God's Word, in Judges, in fact, and elsewhere, especially throughout the the Old Testament, again and again, God uses the metaphor of prostitution to talk about how this kind of sin makes Him feel. And He talks about how His people are like His bride, But it's as though his bride is selling herself out to other lovers again and again. That's how it makes God feel. What's interesting to me though, is that in the New Testament, that metaphor of the bride and groom is still there. But you don't read so much about the whole prostitution thing. It's a very different tone. 
In fact, it talks about, you know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Or in Revelation, we read about a bride dressed in white coming to meet the bridegroom in this day of amazing celebration. And he finds her pure. Why the change? from the Old Testament to the New Testament? I think it's an important question because I think it's what offers us hope in the midst of our struggles. There's a couple of changes that took place from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The first one was God sent a better judge. The judges that we'll read about in the weeks to come, they're flawed. Some of them deeply so. They also, they couldn't offer a permanent solution because eventually they died. And the next generation went and did their own thing again. And they found themselves right back in the same mess. But Jesus was not flawed. And the sacrifice that he made to make things right was one that was permanent and final. And the forgiveness that he offers is offered always and for everyone. And so he's a better judge. He offers a deliverance that lasts and is complete. Maybe today you need that forgiveness. And maybe you'll seek it because you can find it in Jesus. Not only that, but this judge didn't leave us without help. He didn't leave us without help. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to leave. In fact, it's better that I leave because while I'm here, there's just me and I can be in one place at one time and I can walk with you, but I can't walk with each of you individually wherever you go. And so it's better that I go to the Father and the Father and I then will send you the Holy Spirit to help you on a personal level. And so the judge didn't leave us without help. He sent us the Holy Spirit who walks with us and helps us to break free from the cycle of sin. In fact, I love the way Romans 8.13 states it. It says, if we live according to the flesh, according to our old ways, according to sin, then we'll die. But if by the Holy Spirit we're putting to death the things of the flesh, the deeds of our bodies, then we'll live. If by the help of the Holy Spirit we're putting to death. Putting to death, that's judges kind of talk right there. (laughs) We're not talking about uh, just some pansy feel good kind of stuff here. We're talking about battle. Spiritual battle. With real power. Because you of your own strength are not going to break free of the cycle of sin. It's going to plague you until you die. 
But by the power of the Spirit, you can do something about it. And you can start breaking free from the stuff that has its controlling grip on your life. But it's going to take some battle. (laughs) And it's going to take the Holy Spirit's help. So how do we break free from this cycle of sin? This is on your note cards. We do it by finding peace in Jesus' forgiveness and by waging battle by the Spirit's power. By finding peace in Jesus' forgiveness and waging battle by the Spirit's power. It's important to find the forgiveness first. And to find the peace that comes from forgiveness. It's hard to break free of the cycle of sin when you're living in guilt and shame all the time. But when you're operating from a place of love and gratitude for what God's done on your behalf, and from the freedom that comes from knowing that the price, the penalty for your sin has been paid in full, It's just a whole different, better perspective. Maybe you're here today and you are one of those folks I've been talking about. You come limping spiritually in here today or at least sometimes wondering things like, can I even be a Christian? the answer is yes Jesus made that possible no matter who you are what you've done he's seen worse maybe there's something wrong with me I've heard people ask that maybe you have too maybe you've asked it there must be something wrong with me why do I keep doing this there is something wrong with you there's something wrong with me there's something wrong with all of us but Jesus and his spirit can make it right that's the hope we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ maybe I'm just not destined to be saved I think that's one of the favorite lies of Satan the father of lies Maybe sin and hell is just my lot in this life. (laughs) Not if God has anything to do about it. I can't seem to get right. I just struggle with the same thing time and time again. Friend, it doesn't have to be that way. There's a Holy Spirit available to those who believe in Jesus Christ. Who had the power to raise Jesus from the dead. And he has the power to put new life in you. Amen. Let's pray together. Father. We thank you. For sending your only son as a sacrifice. To save us from our own choices. And you could have just handed us over for good. We confess, God, that we are a spiritually frail people who are sometimes not much improved from the folks 3,000 years ago. 
So help us, God, by your Spirit to break free of the sin that threatens our lives, that threatens our relationships with others, and most importantly, God, our relationship with you, our Creator. Amen. I want to also mention to you, as I've mentioned in the weeks past, we do have a baptism service coming up, and we'd love you to be a part of it. If God's made a difference in your life, if you've accepted Him as your Savior and committed your life to Him and to His way. And there's this connect card at your seats. Do you need to accept the forgiveness of Jesus? Do you need to submit to His kingship today? For the first time? Or maybe since you committed your life to Christ, you got caught up in one of these cycles of sin. Don't feel alone in that. People have been dealing with this for thousands of years. But don't stay in it when you don't have to. Find hope in Jesus. Commit your life to Him. Choose a better way. Because God's way really is better. When we live in God's way, it's better. Look at the lives of the people that you know who have been faithfully living their life God's way and look at the difference it's made for them. And if you make a decision, just put your name down here and, and check off a box there so I can get in touch with you. We'd love to be a part of that. And if let me just say a prayer for you if you're wrestling with this. God, I want to pray for folks in this room who have been struggling about their relationship with you, God, and they're not sure what to make of it. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in their lives right now, that you would convict hearts, that you would challenge them to try something different, to try something better, to try Jesus. Pray that they would find forgiveness for their sins in you, that they would choose a better way by the power of your Spirit. And make you the king of their life, God. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.